Hi, and welcome to our show, Forever Paranormal, with your host, Dr. Bill and Ed, where we will discuss such things as cryptids, UFOs, hauntings, angels, unsolved mysteries, government conspiracies and cover-ups, witchcraft, the metaphysical, and more, as well as stories sent in by you, our listeners. If we can connect a paranormal element to it, we'll talk about it. And you may be surprised by what all is connected to the paranormal. Please don't forget to follow, rate, and share the show, since it would not be possible without you, our listeners. And as a public service, we would like to let everyone know that you are truly never alone, even if you think you are. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is 988. Just reach out. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode where we're going to discuss the Shoshone tribal band of indigenous people and a pretty interesting legend or two about that big hairy guy or hairy gal if you prefer. Hey Deb, how are you this week? Anything new going on? Hello Bill, hello listeners. Well, I was scanning the headlines of the news today and of course there was the usual Trump this and Biden that and conspiracy theories all over the place. But there was this one headline that made me think, well, duh. It starts with, scientists say the sun has been shooting out super bright light. No kidding, right? Uh, Yeah, that's what the sun does, right? (laughs) Anyway, it prompted me to read at least part of the article or skim it like I like to do. And I'm thinking, hey, Maybe it's not too late to become a rocket scientist. Well, you want to go back to school? Go ahead. Yeah, it's a little too expensive for my tastes, but, you know, hey, I can do anything, right? Yeah, I mean, we need another PhD (laughs) in the family. (laughs) It goes on to say, it's been happening for years right under our noses. Now, I know I cannot be the only person blinded by the sun Every day when I step outside from sitting in an office all day, right? Right. You're sure. You're right. Bottom line, the gamma rays are super energetic and there are way more of them than they expected. Apparently, there's a consortium that is continuing the research on it. Where do I sign up? I don't know. Um, maybe you can look at the History Channel or the Travel Channel. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, that's pretty interesting, Deb, that the sun is putting out a bunch of bright light. And that's pretty cool. Thank you for that info. Yep. Okay, so we're going to focus on some of the Shoshone legends, including Tassa Hobbits, but it's only proper to get some backstory on this famous band of people. The Shoshone are a Native American tribe with three large divisions. The northern, the western, and the eastern. The northern are concentrated in eastern Idaho, western Wyoming, and northeastern in Utah. The eastern lived in Wyoming, northern Colorado, and Montana. But conflict with the Blackfoot, Crow, Lakota, Cheyennes, and the Arapahoes pushed them south and westward after about 1750. The western ranged from central Idaho, northwestern Utah, central Nevada, and in California, about Death Valley and Panamint Valley. This group is sometimes called the Panamint. The Idaho groups of Western Shoshone were called Tukuaduka, which means sheep eaters, 
while the Nevada Utah groups were called the Goshute or Toi Tukuta, which is cattail eaters. If the Shoshone people sound familiar, think back to elementary school when you were taught about Sacagawea, who was a Shoshone woman who accompanied the Corps of Discovery led by Lewis and Clark in their exploration of the western United States, traveling thousands of miles from North Dakota to the Pacific Ocean. Sacagawea was born to the Agayadika, or Salmon Eater tribe of Shoshone, near what is now Lemhi County, Idaho. But in 1800, when she was about 11 or 12, she was kidnapped by a group of Hidatsu in a battle. She was taken to their village near the present town of Washburn, North Dakota, where she grew up culturally affiliated with this tribe. At the age of about 15, Sacagawea had been taken as a wife by Toussaint Chabonneau, a French trapper living in the Hidatsa village. Sacagawea was pregnant with her first child when the Corps of Discovery arrived near the Hidatsa villages to spend the winter of 1804 to 1805. Lewis and Clark agreed to hire Charbonneau as an interpreter when they discovered his wife spoke the Shoshone language. As they knew they would need the help of the Shoshone tribes at the headwaters of the Missouri River. Carrying an infant child, she maintained her translating duties while simultaneously leading the expedition throughout the Northwest to the Pacific Coast. Well, that's pretty good background and pretty interesting, but ah, this tale is not about her. This tale is about the Shoshone legend of a giant cannibal people named the Tusahabits who roamed the canyon looking for unsuspecting souls to devour. Shoshones avoided the region for fear of the evil giant, who they believed would capture men, toss them into a large basket, and take them back to his camp before consuming them. This area became the town of Jarbage during the gold rush. There are still reported sightings of Mr. Bigfoot in this area, so does that explain who Tassahabits are? Or what they are? Interestingly, Jarbage is derived from the Shoshone language, meaning devil. Wow, that's pretty cool. Wasn't aware of that. Okay, so now let's bring in the legend of Sonoqua. And where does Sonoqua come into all of this? Not only is she represented on many totems and tribal masks, but she is the half-mad cannibal woman who tramps through the woods crying, Woo! Woo! While she hunts for naughty children to eat. She is the boogie woman of the old northwest coast, still ardently believed in by traditionalists, and a timeless threat held before misbehaving children. She is said to be the grandmother of the Tusahabits people and comes from the islands of the Pacific Northwest Coast. Many of the First Nations legends call her the grandmother of Sasquatch. She is venerated as a bringer of wealth, but, which is kind of strange, because she is also greatly feared by the children, because she is also known as an ogress who steals the children, covering their eyes with pitch, and carries them home in her basket to eat. There have been stories of Sasquatch stealing children as long as there have been tales about them. Her appearance is that of a naked old monster, black in color with long pendulous breasts. Think of the Patterson Giblin film. 
sounds, uh, she's also described as having bedraggled and matted hair. And is the woo call that she is said to cry the same as that famous Sasquatch whoop we often hear about? And looking at that Patterson-Giblin film, you can close your eyes and see this description that they give. And as you know, there is definitely a certain amount of truth behind every legend, even though they may become convoluted over time because they're passed down verbally through the ages. Native cultures took these legends, including the taking of women and children, very seriously, and still do to this day. You will not hear them refer to them as myths or stories, and they definitely don't want to discuss it much. You know, I couldn't find a lot of stories of Bigfoot taking children, but there are some. But let's take a look at probably the most famous of the reported incidents where someone was allegedly taken by Sasquatch, and that is of Albert Ostman. This is his report, which was covered in multiple newspapers. And we even have one where the big guy returned a lost child, now we can't attest to the truthfulness of any of the following stories, folks, not having witnessed them firsthand, so we leave it up to each listener to decide on their own. But keep this in mind. In 1924, Albert Osman claims he was kidnapped by a family of Sasquatch. Osman took lie detector tests and was interrogated by a magistrate renowned for making criminals crack under questioning, and Osman never cracked never goofed up his story, and never made a penny off this story. On the contrary, he was ridiculed very much. Here's his story. Albert Osman was a lumberjack and woodsman who went to the area for vacation looking for a lost gold mine. He had hired an old Indian as his guide to get him to the head of the Toba Inlet, where the lost mine was supposedly located. The old Indian said that the miner was killed by Sasquatch. At that time, Osman had never heard of Sasquatch, so he asked, what kind of animal is this he called Sasquatch? The Indian said, they have hair all over their bodies, but they are not animals. They are people, big people, living in the mountains. My uncle saw the tracks of one that were two feet long. One Indian said he saw one that was over eight feet tall. I told the old Indian I didn't believe in her old fables about mountain giants. They might have been around some thousands of years ago, but not nowadays. The Indian said, there may not be many, but they do still exist. Osman had never heard stories about the man-beast who supposedly roamed these word, woods, and like many others, just considered it a story and didn't believe the old Indian. Two days later, Osman said he found an exceptionally good campsite. It was two good-sized cypress trees growing close together, near a rock wall with a nice spring just below these trees. He said he intended to make this his permanent camp. He said he cut lots of brush for his bed between these trees, rigged up a pole from this rock wall to hang his pack sack on. And then he said, I arranged some flat rocks for my fireplace for cooking. I had really a classy setup. And this is when things began to happen. As Osman lay asleep, one evening a Sasquatch supposedly picked him up and carried him off while he was still in his sleeping bag. Osman was carried in his sleeping bag across country for what he claimed to be about three hours by the Sasquatch. That's when he says the Sasquatch dropped him down a plateau. 
Encircling him was a family of four of these creatures. Albert said he was kept captive by the Sasquatch, and his captors were two adults and two children, and they held Osmond captive for about six days or a week. One of the Bigfoots was reportedly as being eight foot tall. Osmond said he had his thirty thirty inside his sleeping bag with him, but he ended up not using the gun since they had not done him any harm and thought the thirty thirty with only about six shells wouldn't have much of an effect on it anyway. He stayed with the Bigfoot family for a week. Osmond ate sweet-tasting grass that they gave him, along with provisions he had in his pack. Albert escaped by making the large male Sasquatch groggy by feeding him some snuff. He did not tell the story for more than 24 years after it happened for fear of being thought of as crazy. But as more Sasquatch stories appeared in the press, Albert decided to tell his story to the local newspaper, The Province, in 1957, which was then picked up by many other papers. I never heard of snuff that causes grogginess and wouldn't think an eight-foot-tall creature or man would be affected, would you? Uh, actually, yes, I would. Having been a kid at one time in my life and about 12 years old getting a hold of snuff and chewing tobacco, it can make you pretty groggy because it makes you pretty green. And uh, you end up getting very sick and you want to do nothing but lay down and sleep for a few hours to get over that effect. I mean, it will make you green around the gills if, if you swallow that juice. I'll it, tell you that much. Even a large person? Uh, yeah, I believe even a large person would, would have trouble with that, especially if it was like a whole can. or, And we don't know. It may have been the powdered snuff, too, so it may have affected right to his brain. It, it's hard to tell, mm. like snorting some kind of drug or something. That's interesting. Yeah. So this next one is from 1987, and it's still considered an unsolved case to this day. And it can be looked at at several angles, but we are including it here because the alleged abductor is Bigfoot. Okay, so now let's get into this one. On the morning of June 1987, 16-year-old Teresa Beer and 43-year-old Russell Skip Welch set off for a camping trip in the Shed Eye Peak area of the Sierra National Forest. Welch had told Teresa all about the mythical Bigfoot, a half-man, half-ape creature, said to roam around the forest across the United States, and the two embarked upon an adventure in hopes of catching a glimpse of the legends for themselves. According to Skip's account on the day Teresa Bear was last seen, they were both wandering down the two towpaths of the Sierra Nevada mountains in search of the Sasquatch when the two somehow became separated. Welch, a self-professed student of Bigfoot, who claims to have been in close personal contact with the creatures, believes that it was during this time that Teresa had been kidnapped by a Bigfoot. You know, Fresno police were dubious of Welch's far-fetched claims and immediately placed Welch under arrest for the kidnapping. The area that the two of them were reported to have been camping in during the time of Teresa's disappearance was thoroughly searched but there was no body and no evidence of any kind supporting the theory that Welch had killed a girl and all charges were eventually dropped. We need to remember back to the beginning of this episode where for centuries Native American tribes have had legends about an upright walking hairy wild man who kidnapped women from their lands. Some believe that the woman would be eaten by the beast while others theorize 
that they kidnapped the woman in order to crossbreed their species with ours. Perhaps there's a chance Teresa Beer is still alive and living among Sasquatch as one of their own. I'm just curious, what was the relationship between these two people? You know, that's something that I wondered myself, you know, why did the parents of a 16-year-old girl let her go camping with a 43-year-old man, right? Were they family friends? Were they acquaintances? What was the deal? I don't know. And that's something that I was not able to find out. But maybe that's something we need to dig into because it is very curious, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And this last one we're going to talk about is more on a happy note of a Harry and the Hendersons type of Sasquatch. (laughs) And here's how the story goes. It seems a family had gone camping and they had a three-year-old little girl with her. Somehow, the little girl had wandered off away from the camp and away from her mother. She had been missing almost all day. Of course, as you can imagine, the mother and the other campers were very upset and concerned about the missing little girl. Then, about dusk, here comes what was described as a hairy giant walking towards the encampment carrying the missing girl in his arms. This hairy giant was also described as being a male creature. The hairy giant walks over and places the little girl down and turns and walks back into the forest. The little girl is completely unharmed and in perfect condition. You know, but Deb, there's one odd thing that happened when this little girl to this little girl when she was away. Someone had taught her how to play stickball. And that was something she didn't know how to do before she went missing. Now, this hairy giant is, of course, a Bigfoot in today's terms. Once I read this story over, it made me wonder. If maybe the big guy had taken the child and then returned her later, could it have been maybe curiosity kind of thing or maybe a spur-of-the-moment play date type of thing for the Nantina kids? I don't know. What do you think, Deb? I think you like to say not T-knock. Anyway, uh, I think one possibility, I mean, I could totally picture myself doing this, but the little girl wandered away somewhere and the creature found her, kept her busy with some form of stickball, maybe for them that's a game, for Bigfoots, I mean, and maybe she was bawling and crying and screaming her eyes out, so he took her back to get rid of her, to where she came from, or at least in the direction she came from until he found a camp, any camp, just drop her off. Well, he found the right camp, so I don't believe in coincidences, so maybe he did take her from that camp. I don't know. I don't know. No, me either. We don't know. Nope. Well, folks, this brings us to the end of this one. So until next time, when we discuss another tale yet to be told. Thank you for listening. And remember to like and share the show. We would also appreciate a five-star rating wherever possible to help new listeners find the show. We welcome all questions or comments you may have about this or any other episode, and our contact information can be found in the show notes of this episode. You can also follow us at foreverparanormal.com. And if you'd like to support us, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash forever paranormal. The links to these are also in the show notes of this episode. (laughs) 